It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We still haven't played our best football yet. We're, clo- we're getting closer, but we haven't played our best football yet. We're going to need it down the stretch and finish up strong, all right? You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can simply ask your smart device like Siri, Alexa, Google Home, whatever it is, play podcast Locked on Vikings. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. And before we get into recapping the Vikings 20-7 win over the Detroit Lions at U.S. Bank Stadium, a real quick word, I apologize, I promised a Friday show uh, last week previewing this Lions game in more depth than what you can can ever get into in Crossover Wednesday, Uh, then I fell horribly ill and uh, couldn't get that show out for you. So my apologies for that, hopefully I am back uh, on the up and up now and we can continue as normal from here. So I promise I am very excited about the Vikings winning 20-7 against a division rival to ascend to 9-4. and This clinches the fourth winning season under the Mike Zimmer era of the Minnesota Vikings. He's been here for six years now. He is guaranteed to have at least nine wins in four of them. And uh, if I had done that preview podcast, I was actually going to talk up David Blau quite a bit. I liked what I saw from him uh, on, on Thanksgiving. I thought that he worked the pocket very well. I thought he was reasonably accurate. I liked the way he threw kind of lofty, like, lobby passes down the field. I, I thought that they were thrown with a nice touch. I didn't think he had, like, lots of zip. And I, I thought that there were a lot of issues reading the field at, that you get a lot of the time with young quarterbacks. But I, I saw some things that, you know, the Lions might be able to work with there. So I was going to kind of preview and say, OK, this is like how you deal with a quarterback like that uh, and how you deal with a quarterback like that. For one, uh, the Vikings, you know, their their disguises in coverages were there all day. And David Blau really had no idea how to read them. And that is what led to a lot of those like deer in the headlight sacks. Uh, Daniel Hunter got three sacks. He became Came the youngest player ever to reach 50 sacks, and I believe he he passed Keith Millard. He now is the Minnesota Viking with the second most sacks in his first five seasons. There's a bunch of ways to say, holy crap, this kid's off to a hot start, and he's only 25. I mean, he was drafted when he was 20, and he's in his fifth year, so that obviously helps, but I mean, yeah, the kid's explosive. But a lot of that just comes from David Blau, like, not seeing the coverage that he thought he was seeing pre-snap, and then just kind of shutting down and not really being able to process through that, and some guys have that, some guys don't. And on the whole, and I think the real headline of this one, except for, you know, it was an excruciating game where the Vikings just kind of rolled up an inferior opponent and had their eyes on next week by about halftime. I think if there's anything we can take from this game, it was kind of a get-right game for the defense. Obviously, the defense had been in this huge slump. They had had a bunch of really difficult matchups, you know, the Seahawks and the Chiefs, even without Mahomes, it's still Andy Reid, and they were able to move the ball, and Dak Prescott playing probably his best game of the year. He's fallen off since, but he was great in that game. And it was really like four consecutive games where the defense didn't look that good. Uh, and even, you know, guys like Xavier Rhodes struggling a ton. I mean, we talked about it a ton here. And so coming from that into this one against another backup quarterback, and it's been such a thing, and it's a divisional 
real opponent and you know there was a little bit of 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 anxiety i guess like oh is this one going to get weird you know are these stupid lions going to move the ball on this ailing defense are we going to have to care about this game and i think the first two drives ended up in three and outs right and uh i think after that point uh, personally i was like okay yeah no the, the lions just have nothing in the tank they have no juice they've completely given up on the season and they looked pretty hapless and so that, that does kind of limit the amount of stuff that we can really take out of this game but that doesn't mean throw it in the trash entirely right i've seen people kind of going through that like heuristic with the vikings saying well you know they beat atlanta and we're gonna throw that game out because they're not very good they beat oakland we're gonna throw that game out i mean they're like six and eight guys you know they beat uh the giants they suck throw that game out philadelphia they suck throw that game out and and you can kind of notch through like all of those wins even the win against a probable playoff team in the Cowboys or the Eagles whichever one of those two teams and you can kind of throw them all in the trash and make a pretty good argument to say well you know that one doesn't really impress me at all right that's not an impressive win but I think you can still look into all those games and like learn stuff about the Vikings and sometimes the stuff you learn is like hey the Vikings are, are pretty good this is a Lions team that had earlier in the season been playing a lot better. This is a Lions team that took the Bills kind of wire to wire with David Blau. And then they came into U.S. Bank Stadium and completely fell apart. And I guess one thing we can learn from that is the value a week of tape can do. But it seemed really like the game plan was a very simple one. And there's a lot of advantages to going simple in a matchup like this where you're very clearly outclassing your opponent. And, you know, the the Lions, I mean, they fall to 3-9-1 and one here. And they basically, like we talked about with Matt Derry last week, they've basically given in. And so what you can do is you can kind of take that as an opportunity to go back to the basics. And that's not looking past the Lions. You still got to prepare. You still got to work hard. You still got to, you know, put in all the elbow grease you always have to put in. But what you can do strategically is you can A, keep a whole bunch of cards kind of close to your vest, right? You don't need to spend any of the really big bullets on this one. You don't need to pull out the trick play. You know, you don't need to pull out the fake punt that you've been keeping in your back pocket all season for this kind of game. You can instead just go to your fundamentals, go to the things that the Vikings, especially on defense, have been good at for years, rolling those coverages, you know, hitting your spots from uh, unorthodox alignments, things like Anthony Barr lining up on the line of scrimmage and then, you know, finding his way to a seam or to a hook zone or like Harrison Smith lining up, you know, feigning blitz and then having to get back to cover like a deep third. Those are all very difficult things that the Vikings have been very good at. And those things, when you're good at them, come with the rewards of being able to, you know, disguise coverages and confuse young quarterbacks. And so I I think getting back to that really helped the Vikings defense uh, play a, a much sounder game, even though the level of competition clearly has to kind of t- be taken into account here. You can still look at this game and say, okay, they kind of figured themselves out and they like recalibrated a little bit, right? It's just a game to help everything get realigned. And then you have to go into LA next weekend and play like a real quarterback. Zimmer also had praise for the defensive players and especially the cornerbacks after the game. If you didn't catch it, there was a lot more rotation going on. Even at the beginning of the game, Xavier Rhodes was playing fewer snaps, which may be a reflection on his play recently. But Mike Hughes actually went out of the game for a little bit. Uh, Rhodes went out of the game a couple different times, so there were some other injuries, so they had to do this rotation. Somebody asked Zimmer about it uh, in his press conference after the game, and here is what he had to say. Well, we planned on doing it going into the ball game, but um, you know, and then a couple guys got dinged, so we had to change the rotation a little bit. But... Uh, um, you know, I just think it's it's important that uh, you know we mix some guys in there and you know let some guys adjust and see the, how the game, the flow of the game is, and and uh, keep going from there. And and more importantly, and I think today 
you know, I, I don't know for sure because I'm obviously not watching them. But I think in the last two weeks, they've been in much better position um, in pass defense than they, than they were in the previous four or five weeks. So if that's the case, then we're going to continue to get better. Hey, if you're a Spotify listener, use Spotify Wrapped to show us your top Locked On podcast for the year. Take a screenshot and tag us at Locked On Live and at Locked On Vikings, and then tag me at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter, and I will share. That'll be an auto retweet if you share that screenshot with me. Also, fellas, I want to talk to you a little bit about Blue Chew. Blue Chew is the very first tablet chewable of its kind. It has the same active ingredients as like Viagra and Cialis, so you know what we're getting into here. But it's a chewable, which means that it kicks in about twice as fast and that means that's that much less waiting around when the moment is right and blue chew isn't just for like men of a certain age who can't perform the way that they used to in their prime this is for anybody who is looking to better themselves for the sake of their partner hey who can say no to that it's made right here in the united states and it ships directly to your door in a nice discreet package so you can skip the pharmacy you can skip all the waiting in line you can skip all that awkwardness and that saves you a buck too so head on over to bluechew.com. That's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. And if you enter promo code locked on, they'll let you try it for free. That's bluechew.com, promo code locked on. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. So since there isn't that much to talk about in this one, honestly, I mean, it was just kind of a dominant front to back win. There are some themes, though, that I would like to go over that I noticed throughout the game, some kind of schematic things that were going on that contributed to that kind of dominant feel. You know, you could very easily chalk this up to the Vikings were just like a lot better than the Lions, and that's not particularly informative, and then kind of throw this whole thing in the trash. And you wouldn't be that far off with the take of like, yeah, the Vikings are a lot better than the Lions, you know, Good for you, water's also wet. But I think that there is a lot you can look into with this one that is actually interesting and, and cool to look at and informative to look over. So uh, Daniel Hunter actually got three sacks in this game, and he made uh, made himself the youngest player ever to get 50 sacks in his career, and he now has the second most sacks uh, in franchise history in his first five seasons. So part of this is just uh, Daniel Hunter winning, right, and beating his his opponent and getting into the backfield and getting all that pressure, right? And we know that he's capable of that. That's not particularly informative. That's just the Vikings player being better than the Lions player. But what I found really interesting was because a lot of that production came earlier in the game. And earlier in the game, the Vikings, or the, the Lions were actually paying a lot more attention to Everson Griffin. And they were actually chipping him and and putting doubles on him, putting tight ends on him, and they didn't actually pay a lot of the same respect to Daniel Hunter, and they paid dearly for it. And it wasn't until later in the game, once Hunter had kind of already done his damage, that the Lions adapted, and they started, like, doing the same thing over on that side. But at that point, you know, you're, you're committing so many players to shutting down these edge rushers that the entire offense kind of can't really go. And, of course, the Lions didn't actually get any production 
until way deep into the game, but once the game was, you know, completely out of hand. And I thought that it was interesting how this was one where it didn't really look like it didn't really, I mean, it didn't feel like anything because it was a game that you could kind of mentally check out of in the second quarter and be pretty comfortable with the Vikings winning, which is unusual for us. But, you know, it, 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 to me, it felt like a game that the edge rushers kind of took over on that side of the ball and the amount of work that the Lions had to do to neutralize neutered the entirety of their offense. And the other kind of thing that that sets up is the interior rushers who, you know, have been struggling a lot, both the, the defensive tackles who are basically run stuffers, they're on those tackles. Again, they went into this game with basically no dedicated three technique. They have Shamar Stefan, who is a nose tackle, playing the three technique position. They also had Jaleel Johnson rushing out of there sometimes. I think they even have Linvalds rush out of there sometimes. But these are like classically nose tackle types and guys that the Vikings, I think, prefer at nose tackle or at least are better suited for it. Uh, and then on third downs, they have, you know, uh, Weatherly and Odenabo, who are rotational edge rushers who stand up and rush from the inside, and that's how they rush things. Again, the dedicated three techniques on the team are Jalen Holmes and Hercules Mata'afa, both of whom have been inactive most of these games, if if not both of them, and you know, you don't actually have one dressed on game day. And and that's always been something that I've criticized a lot, but in this game, because of the dominance the edge rushers were putting forth all of those kind of tertiary other guys, the defensive tackles and the stand-up rusher, rushing defensive ends, were actually able to get a little bit of pressure. Odenabo got back there, Jaleel Johnson got himself a sack, and a lot of that had to do with coverage. Now, I want to look at the tape right now. I want to see if if what Mike Zimmer said earlier in this show, what he said in his press conference, actually holds up that, yeah, they were in better position and they just, like, were in better coverage. That's one thing. It'd be another thing if it were a David Blau problem, right? If he wasn't seeing the field right, if he was panicking, if he was, you know, not going through his progressions once the coverage changed on him and it were a scheme thing, that would be a little bit less impressive. I would love to see that guys like Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones just couldn't get separation against the secondary. That's kind of what we've come to expect from them. And I think with the interior defensive line in general, we saw a lot better performance against the run. And, you know, I, I don't know if Seattle's a good run team or not. They hadn't really been that good up until the last few weeks. And, of course, included in the last few weeks is the time they kicked our butts in the run game. But that team and what they were able to accomplish doesn't match up with what the Lions were able to accomplish. And that's improvement. And I think even opponent adjusting it in the most pessimistic way, it's still improvement. And improvement in a really good way. I think Bo Scarborough had, like, 60 yards. I don't think anybody else had any like anything of note. From an overall schematic perspective, it didn't really seem like the Vikings were working that hard, and that's going to sound like a slight, that's just the way that I'm describing, like, how many bells and whistles, you know, how many cards did you have to play? The Vikings seemed to just do what they regularly do. Now, they use some of those disguised coverages, and they use some of those blitz packages that they've been using, you know, all season, and it's, it's not like they just played straight-up base defense all day like it was a preseason game, but they played, I, I think, the, the most straight-up defense that I've seen f- uh, in a while from them, uh, and it was wise. You know, they've played that straight-up thing before, that vanilla defense before, and, and Mike Zimmer's vanilla is not the same as, like, Leslie Frazier's vanilla, right? Mike Zimmer's vanilla still has blitz packages and disguise coverages and all that stuff. It's just what he normally does, and having a game where you don't have to expose any of the other creative stuff and put any of that on tape, or, you know, you only have to put on tape exactly what you want on tape, uh, because that's kind of a strategy. And on the other side, Kevin Stefanski is great at this, right? Is putting something on tape and then waiting for them to react to it and then doing the thing that counters that reaction. That's been like a sequence that he's been great at orchestrating this year. And when you play a team like the Lions that has really packed it in and is just waiting for the season to die, you can kind of take the luxury of putting on tape 
everything that you want. And I, I think that's kind of what we saw here. It seemed like the Vikings gave about 60% and won handily on the defensive side of the ball. And they didn't give up anything until that, that shutout ruining touchdown at the end that Mike Zimmer was particularly annoyed with, which I think is kind of cute. So I'm going to get into the offense uh, here for the rest of the show, but first, the original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked NFL and using locked NFL at checkout. No, on, just locked NFL. Terms and conditions apply. And hey, if you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all the other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcasts.com slash offers. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So on the offensive side of the ball, I kind of had the same vibe where it felt like they gave about 60% of what they had to to win this game. And, and, and you know, they, they ran away with it handily and they could kind of keep the rest of their cards in their pocket for this, this final stretch of three games. But I think what stood out to me is, uh, for one, the offensive line. The offensive line gave uh, Kirk Cousins great protection for most of the day. He had a couple of throws that he couldn't step into that sailed on him. That was kind of an issue throughout the day. Throws were sailing on him. Uh, there were a couple that weren't pressured that sailed on him, and that's a little bit more concerning, something he'll probably have to go back and fix, uh, although nothing dire. It only happened a couple of times. But those are particularly dangerous because it's the kind of thing. I mean, the Vikings got an interception on David Blau because of that exact issue. Maybe two. Uh, I, I couldldn't quite make out what happened on that final interception to Andrew Sandejo, who, by the way, what a hilarious season he's had. He's had an interception in every game he's played at U.S. Bank Stadium, regardless of which team he is on. How funny. But I thought, I mean, Kirk Cousins had some awesome throws, right? The uh, the the throw down to right before the half to Diggs on the sideline was incredible. He had a couple of throws on rollouts to Diggs that were really really great. Um, I thought he fired a couple really in this in the spot. I think maybe his best throw of the day or one of his best throws of the day was uh, wiped out by penalty. Uh, it was a, a dart over the middle to I want to say it was Irv Smith, uh, and it was unfortunately called back due to offsetting penalties, uh, but he, he had some really great throws. One throw I want to dispute, though, people were really praising the throw on the Ola B.C. Johnson touchdown, which was a phenomenal catch, right? He, he heaves one up there, B.C. goes up, gets it, takes it down through contact. It was really great for the third touchdown for the rookie kid, which is pretty pretty cool for him. And actually, the commentators throughout the whole uh, game were like praising this Vikings draft class, probably because Rick Spielman's brother is the color commentator. Maybe there's some bias there, but I think that they're right. This draft class, is, this rookie class, has been incredibly productive. You've gotten production out of four players in it, and that's not including the long snapper. And if you want to count the long snapper, that's five players. That's really, really incredible. Typically, uh, rookies who play in their rookie season are, are, you know, on a good trajectory to start playing better as they get more experience and, and you know, solidify as as veterans. So getting your rookies in there uh, and not having to force it, really, you know, Ola B.C. Johnson has won that wide receiver three job and, and Garrett Bradbury. There's nobody else on the roster that's going to play center better than him. And he's making all these reach 
blocks and stuff. This is a good rookie class, and they're really playing well. And I think BC Johnson, seventh round pick, who's come in and actually like become a productive role player, is is awesome. And so he makes this great catch, right? And he goes up and he gets it. He climbs the ladder, uh, and. But people were saying, oh, wow, and also what a dime to, you know, put it where only his guy can get it. But if you look at how open BC was on that play, I mean, he he was coming on, I think it was an over route, uh, which is basically like a crosser but deeper, right? So he's basically just running across the end zone. He had like two or three steps on the defensive back. If Kirk puts that toward the sideline, side toward like the S in Vikings, uh, then this one is not going to be contested at all. But Kirk puts it too far back, so kind of not behind BC, but makes it so BC has to hold up and throws it high instead. And that might have actually been like a deliberate choice to say like, oh, you know, we're going to throw it like high and in the end zone. And there might have been another defender that he was trying to like throw it around, but I don't think that that was, I think they were in man coverage, so I, I don't think that that was a necessary step. Again, I, I reserve the right to walk that back if I look at it later and and th- this is rapid reaction, right? I could look at that later, and and maybe I'm wrong about that. But I don't think that there was a defender that he needed to throw it around. If he puts it on the S in the Vikings, BC can basically wa- waltz up to it and catch it without ever jumping. Now, he instead has to go up, survive the contact. You basically brought the defender back into the play. I didn't think that that was Kirk's best throw. But it was good enough, right? It was caught. It was a touchdown. It's not like he sailed it into the third row, and you're going, oh my god, how'd you miss the wide open Ola BC Johnson? And the other Cousins, I thought Cousins actually kind of had an up and down day, uh, but it was like a quiet up and down day because obviously the game situation was so sleepy for so long, a whole bunch of it just kind of like fades into the void. But, you know, he also had that like near disastrous play. He was under pressure. He was trying to do heroics, only almost threw it directly into the arms of, I want to say it was Tracy Walker. uh, And and he drops what would have been a pick six that brings the Lions all the way back into the game. Uh, and then it ends up weirdly in the arms of Garrett Bradbury, who has his first career reception. So we can now unironically say that 11 different Vikings caught the ball. Uh, and most of those Vikings had their touches like in the first half, like they spread the ball around a ton to all the different people which I guess is particularly important when you don't have Adam Thielen, right? He's still nursing that hamstring. He wasn't able to go in this one. There is opt- there's scar tissue in his hamstring. That's insane. Uh, but I guess, according to Ian Rappaport, I guess, at least, uh, there is optimism that he'll be able to play next week. Of course, when he gets back, you know, it'll be not a moment too soon. But, you know, th- these criticisms of Kirk, because, I mean, I'm nitpicking really hard here. Uh, all in all, he had a game. He hit the throws he needed to hit. He had a couple of really great bombs. I'll take the great bombs if it means there's a couple of misses around. I want to get rid of that stupid, almost disaster pick six play. But, like, that's kind of the only thing that, like, truly bugs me. And everything else was, like, fine. It was kind of a weird game on offense because the Vikings were really moving the ball at will pretty much all day. I mean, they could move up and down. They got into a little bit of a slump at a halftime. I think they had a couple consecutive three and outs. But in the first half, they moved the ball up and down the field at will. But they had a little bit of trouble cashing in, and that's why the final score is only 20-7 to and not 27-7 to or, or 35-7. to uh, You know, the, the Vikings probably could have won this game by a lot more if they had cashed in a little bit better on those earlier opportunities. They had a very conservative punt at their own, like, 35. I think it was, like, 4th and 6 or something. I know teams, a lot of teams would go for it. I know that, uh, like, win probability and EPA analytics tell you that it's probably better to go for it. And the reason for that is because if you look at the punt, you only gained, like, 20 yards of field position and the opportunity to potentially convert is absolutely worth sacrificing uh, 20 yards of field position if you don't get it. That's actually a pretty small uh, consolation for taking the conservative way out. And they also ended up, I think they kicked a really short field goal. They had another... uh, 
drive that ended in a field goal that could have been converted, right? So they, they moved the ball a lot more uh, than I think the scoreboard ends up showing, and they had a little bit of trouble cashing in. And I don't think that the offense played up to what our expectations had become of them, considering, A, what they did in Detroit last time. You know, they put up, I think, what was it, 42? And the things that the offense had been doing recently, I mean, they went into Seattle and, you know, they put up uh, 23 on offense. They had scored very well. They moved the ball very well against like Dallas and, and then, you know, the comeback against Denver and that vaunted like the offense has a pretty good reputation and we would expect them to do a little bit better than 20 against the Lions. And I think a couple of the reasons for that have already outlined. I also think the run game didn't do great. Like they had uh, Dalvin Cook more or less bottled up. I thought Alexander Madison had a great game running, uh, and he, I think he was the beneficiary of better run blocking, which is a product of variance. That's not like a, a an indictment of Cook or an endorsement of Madison. It's just that Madison happened to be the ball carrier on the plays where the line blocked better. And of course, he had a couple of great moments. He had that hurdle that was great, and I think he he picks the right hole very well, and he can go through with burst. The only thing that I I would rather Madison do is seek yards and not seek contact. I think when there's a, a linebacker in the hole, he's not seeking to shed their tackle; he's seeking to punish them, and that's a classic you know NFL player mentality. But I kind of wish like I, I don't he'll be bruised in the morning, and you'll have two less yards. Like take the yards. But, you know, when you have an identity as a thumping one cut to kind of back, I don't know if that's ever going to change. So that's just kind of who he is. And that's kind of what makes Delvin Cook special is that he is in the minority where he always is, you know, seeking the yards. But we're kind of having another week here where this run game, this zone run Gary Kubiak thing that we were praising so much, you know, not six weeks ago has dried up quite a bit. And the the efficiency, I think Dalvin Cook had like 3.4 a carry, like the efficiency hasn't really been there. And the reasons for that might just be that, you know, they've run things a little bit too simply. I still don't think they're using as much pre-snap motion as they used to. Uh, I think that was a tell and they had to move away from it. But unfortunately, that pre-snap motion was doing a very important job in manipulating box counts. And now you're running into boxes that are more difficult to be successful against. And the passing game has been way more consistent. So it's kind of picked up the slack when the rushing game, you know, hasn't really been up to the same par that we saw in the first half of the season, but it's something that I think they're going to really want to get squared away. I think right now their their main focus is making sure that, that the pass defense kind of cleans its act up, and, and I think they're going to really want to like then focus in and say, okay, what is wrong with the run game here, and why isn't it being as efficient as it used to be? I mean, if you had some of those explosive Dalvin Cook runs, now suddenly this game is a runaway instead of 20-7, to 7, and you know, you're actually, you actually have to like think about it a little bit. I mean, not really. The game was clearly uncompetitive from the get-go, but I mean, it was a two-score game in the fourth quarter, and we've seen multiple instances of that in this season where the Vikings were on the wrong end of it and ended up coming back and getting to at least within a game-winning drive. So we know it's possible, and I think if you had a little bit more success in the run game, you would have been able to, to put that game away a little bit more easily, and of course the influx of explosive plays that that would bring about, like what was happening earlier in the year, would lead to more points. So I, I, that's something that I want to investigate further and kind of learn more about why that isn't working so much. My hypothesis is that they went away from the pre-snap motion and that was doing an important job and they haven't really done anything to replace it. They're just kind of running classic zone plays and like everybody knows how to defend that. That's been around since like the mid-80s. So you're not really throwing anything at a defense that they haven't seen before. You're just kind of testing their fundamentals. And wouldn't you know it, NFL players typically have pretty good fundamentals. And now you're just kind of relying on Dalvin Cook to do heroic things, which you can only really get so much out of that ever. 
So that's a couple reasons why I think the offense didn't really like live up to my personal, like what I personally thought would happen and what I think the team was expecting themselves to do. But there's also a game script reason for this. You know, the, they are up 20 to zero. They're not going to take a lot of chances. They're not going to do aggressive things. They're just going to try to milk clock. Uh, and at, at a certain point, I mean, if you look at like win probability for this, it was never in question. It's not like these are problems that caused anything, you know, to almost go awry or anything like that. I mean, it was fine. I'm nitpicking stuff because that's what you get to do after a win, right? You can say, okay, we won. Great. Let's notch it. And then let's look at what we can make better because we actually have real opponents coming down the pipe instead of teams that are like eliminated and totally have given up. However, their next uh, week's opponent is also mathematically eliminated. So maybe there's something there, but the lions had totally packed it in, in a way that I actually rarely see NFL teams do. The last time I think I saw that was 2017 against the bears uh, in week 17, the bears had packed it in. And I believe the Bengals had packed it in that year too. Uh, The bears actually in a lot of the week 17 matchups with the Vikings kind of give in when they're uh, with, I think that's part of their culture. And, you know, it's hard to get a team up to just play spoiler, right? Like, put their bodies on the line when they know they can't win anything. Like, yeah, whatever. Just get out of it and get to your offseason. I totally get it. But if they aren't going to, uh, like, put in the love that is required to make this game competitive and the Vikings can notch in a boring and uncompetitive win, hey, I'll take that every time. They count all the same. So the Vikings are now 9-4 and four winning season, and that is that much closer to a playoff run and a chip in a chair in January. So that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. I will be back tomorrow with some more in-depth review of some of this stuff. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. The show is available anywhere you like to find your favorite podcasts like Google Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya. Don't forget the Spotify wrapped thing too if you're a Spotify listener. Or you can just ask your smart device. Play podcast Locked on Vikings every morning. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. I will see you all tomorrow. And as always, Skull. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked on NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.